0: I encourage you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. We continue the study of the book of Acts, if you're visiting with us, we're just a few weeks in. Those of you here were, uh, last week, remember that we spent, we spent our time looking at the first half, the first chunk of chapter 2, of Acts chapter 2, and then we got cut short. Because of time constraints, we're on a bit of a time constraint as well today. This is a wonderful service, a full service, uh, but I'll do my best uh, to keep us on a good pace this morning. But we've been looking at this familiar event of the Holy Spirit coming in power on pentecost on the day of pentecost on this day of the jewish feast and we were reminded in these first 13 verses of acts chapter 2 by the way if you don't have a bible there are bibles on the back table available for you or there's uh, the passage is printed in your bulletin I invite you to follow along but we were reminded last week that god's promises are true what reminded us of that is that god's power god's powerful spirit came And Peter alludes to Joel chapter 2 and the promise that that was. And we're also reminded that the Gospel is for all nations. That was the point of the powerful display of tongues, of other languages. As God was saying, I am doing something big here. Bigger than you thought, O Israel. Bigger than you can imagine. See, Pentecost, I tried to make the point that Pentecost was a promise... To God's people fulfilled, and it was a vision for the nations cast. Kind of said that weird, weirdly. It, it was a promise fulfilled to God's people and a vision cast for the nations. That's what Pentecost meant. That's what it means for us today. It was a day like no other for those gathered 2,000 years ago. And it was a day that was steeped in Old Testament imagery and Old Testament prophecy, and therefore it stands as one of these unique events in redemptive history. And because of that, I wanted to stress last week that we aren't trying to get back to what we see in Acts chapter 2. That what happened in Acts chapter 2 isn't necessarily normative for believers. I was trying to make that point, and I as I was thinking about it, as I was analyzing my sermon, which I do way too much. You can talk to my wife about that. But as I was thinking about it, I just thought I'm not, I wasn't clear on that. But that's the point I was trying to make. But I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm not saying, and I wasn't saying that the Spirit of God will never show up in our lives in a powerful way, in a very real way. I believe that He often does. And that at times we ought to pray for that. But I did want to steer us away from an error that is taught in the broader church that says that what happened on Pentecost, what happened in Acts chapter 2, is normative and necessary for the believer in Jesus. And there are other places, namely Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where we will eventually talk more about this, and we're forced to flesh this idea out. But that's one of the points that I was trying to make last week, that as an event, this event of Pentecost was unrepeatable. We ought to pray for the Spirit's fullness. We ought to pray for the Spirit's fruit in our lives. We ought to pray for the gifts that the Spirit gives. But we don't necessarily need a baptism of tongues. That's not what the Bible is teaching. If you are interested, maybe you, this, you're confused on this subject and you can't wait till we get to 1 Corinthians to talk about it. Certainly you can talk to me about it, but let me recommend a book, Baptism and Fullness. It's a short little, small little book, classic book by John Stott, which explains what we're talking about when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What's the the difference between baptism of the Spirit and fullness of the Spirit? I've just touched on it, but this book is a great book to really dive in deeper. Well, that was last week. Today we talk about the next part of Acts chapter 2, this sermon of Peter. This sermon of Peter, and it begins in verses 14. We read a little bit of that last week, but I'm going to read the whole sermon to you, so listen as I read. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 and following. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and he addressed them Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for He is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make known you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. All I can say is, after reading Peter's sermon, after thinking about it this week, is, What happened to Peter? I mean, wow, what Boldness, what eloquence comes from a man who just months earlier was stumbling over his words, was stumbling over his confession in the courtyards of Jerusalem. What a change. What has happened to this man? What's happened is he's seen the Christ, the risen Christ, the ascended Christ. And more than that, what's happened to Peter is that he has been filled with the Holy Spirit. So much could be said about this beautiful sermon in Acts chapter 2. One of the reasons I read the lengthy passages is because I didn't want to chop it up as if Peter chopped it up. Peter didn't chop it up. He spoke those words and more, the Scripture says. We could look at a lot of different things this morning. But I just want to look briefly at a few. This morning in our discipleship hour before church, for those of you who are here, I know many of you were, we talked a bit about the Trinity. We talked about the fact that our salvation is uniquely and necessarily Trinitarian. God in three persons. And I kind of want to stay in that vein this morning briefly Because I think that Peter's blockbuster sermon here in Acts chapter 2 is further evidence of that fact, of that teaching of the unique role that each person plays in our salvation. And so really just three brief encouragements for you this morning. The first one is the the missing point from last week, and then the last two we'll just fly through very briefly. And the first one is this, the first encouragement. Rejoice in the Father's purpose for His Spirit. Rejoice in the Father's purpose for His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. See, we we spent some time last week talking at length about the promise of the Spirit, but it's here in the passage that we really see fleshed out for us more than ever, one of the purposes of God's Spirit. Why did God send His Spirit? Why did Jesus promise this Spirit? Why did Jesus tell His disciples that it was better to have the Spirit than it was to have Him? Jesus had told His followers just days earlier, back in verse 8 of chapter 1, that the Holy Spirit was to come upon them, and they likely, these Followers of Christ had no real clear idea of what that was going to look like, what that was going to feel like, but they did know from Jesus' words that whatever the Spirit's coming was going to be, it was going to be powerful. That the Spirit was going to come in power. And indeed He did, and we looked at the meaning of that powerful display of God's Spirit at Pentecost. Pentecost. And for the disciples in their unique office, in their unique place in redemptive history, as we are going to see as we walk through the book of Acts, as we see all the impact that they made in the known world as they preached the Gospel. For the disciples, the power of the Spirit would mean power to heal. Power to perform all kinds of, of signs and wonders. Things that would make our mouths drop to the floor. It also would include power for boldness. Just look at Peter right here. Power to endure. Power to witness. And I wanted to just think about the fact that that history proves this fact. I mean, history proves that the Spirit of God came upon these men and women in power. And how does it prove it? Well, proves it not just by this amazing response, 3,000 souls being added by Peter's sermon here in Acts chapter 2. But what happened to the church? How did this small band of Jewish followers of Jesus literally change the world as we know it? No flame out. No letting down. No burnout. Only fervor. Absolute fervor to the bitter end. And we know from history that the disciples, that all the disciples spoke about Christ faithfully to their death, to their martyrdom. We say, wow. How did this happen? Not just Not just because they were energized by what they had seen and heard. Yes, that was part of it. They had seen the risen Christ. But it was because they weren't just spending from their reserves. They were emptying a tank with no bottom. All of them, each of them, had been given the gift of the Spirit. Moses the prophet, we talked a little bit about this in my community group a couple weeks back. Moses the prophet, the one who spoke the words of God, a familiar character in Old Testament history. He was one upon whom the Spirit of God rested. And he longed for this day. He longed for the day of Acts chapter to, and, and, and if you flip, don't do it now, but if you go back to Numbers chapter 11, Moses, who is overwhelmed by the needs of God's people and the wisdom from God that they need, he appoints 70 elders. And those 70 elders receive the power of the Spirit to be able to discern, to be able to do, give counsel, to be able to endure. And after giving the Spirit to these 70 elders in order to relieve some of the load off of Moses, Joshua comes to him and he's, he's upset because there are two men, Eldad and Dad, who are running around in the camp who are prophesying, but they weren't part of the original 70. And Joshua says, Moses, what are you going to do about these guys? They're prophesying in the camp. And Moses says this, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people be prophets, that the Lord would put His Spirit on all of them? You see, Moses longed for this day. He longed for this day. And now Moses' desire is upon us. For we are recipients of the Father's purpose for the Spirit. To give you power. To give you wisdom. To give you strength to endure. Power wasn't just for Pentecost. The power is for the church now. And in God's plan to cover the earth with the knowledge of His name, He's poured out His Spirit to empower us for witness to speak the wonders of our God, to speak of the Lord Jesus who is both Lord and Christ, as Peter says in this passage. This is something to rejoice in. This is something to be encouraged by. 3,000 souls on this day. Jesus never saw that kind of fruit in His earthly ministry, and yet when the Holy Spirit comes in power, He cannot be stopped. And as I think about this in regards to our own lives, I think about some of you who have people in your life who you might classify as hopeless cases. They're just so far gone, or their hearts are so hard, they'll never return, or they'll never come in the first place. Brothers and sisters, let the power of the Spirit at Pentecost and the power promised to you and the church for its witness encourage you that there are no hopeless cases Paul told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 3, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. So rejoice in God's purpose for His Spirit. A Spirit of power. A Spirit of endurance for witness. Well, that's the first thing. Let me just go quickly through the other two Secondly, rejoice in the Father's purpose for Jesus. I mean, at the center of this sermon is the Christ, is Jesus. There's no doubt about that, but one can't help notice that Peter keeps bringing up God's actions in regards to Jesus over and over again. This was the Father's plan for His Son. That He might make you sons and daughters. This passage reminds us that God is God. That God is, control, is in control of everything. That every inch of our universe is under His command. And we see it in the person and the work of Jesus. We see it in two ways in Jesus. One, that this thing was planned. Peter, through Luke, reminds his hearers. From the very beginning that all the events that occurred in Jesus' life, the unjust accusations, the unjust trial, the unjust execution, were all part of God's plan. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan. Delivered up? Delivered up? What a picture that is of our sovereign God who in His infinite mystery When we fell in Adam, he said, No, I will I will save a people for myself. And it will come at the expense of my son, whom I will deliver up. It was planned, but not only that it was promised. We talked a little bit about the promise. We talked a lot about the promise last week. The promise in relationship to the Holy Spirit. And we read in verse 30, God had sworn an oath to Him that He would set, on, that he would set one of His descendants on His throne. And here we just see the continuity of God's purposes, of God's plan, of God's promise through the nation of Israel. One of the things that's interesting to note about this sermon in the book of Acts, and we'll see this in other sermons as we look at the character of the sermons of the early apostles, is that Peter's not so interested in talking about the atonement of Jesus. He's more focused in talking about this Jesus is both Lord and Christ. He's focusing on the kingship of Jesus, and he does that through Quoting David in Psalm 16 and Psalm 110, God promised it would happen, and it's happening just as He said it would happen. Rejoice in God's purpose in Jesus. Because if God planned this, if God promised this, the most spectacular sin in all history in order that He might be glorified, then what about the valleys that you and I are going through? The simple Gospel equation is this. A God of love plus a God of purpose equals peace for His people. Rejoice in God's purposes for Jesus and what He has done for you through Him. And then finally, I know we're going quickly the last ver- or the last point. Not just rejoice in the Father's purpose for the Spirit and rejoice in the Father's purpose for Jesus, but finally, respond to what the triune God has done. That's what Peter called his hearers to. That's what God's Word calls you to this morning. And you can respond in one of two ways or a combination of the two. What does Peter say to his hearers? He says, repent. As these hearers of God's Word were cut to the heart by the Word, not by the eloquence of Peter necessarily, but by the Word and the Spirit of God that carried it in power, they were cut to the heart and they said, what shall we do as the blinders are being removed from their eyes? And Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And so it's a basic gospel call. If you're here this morning and you have never repented of your sin and placed your hope in the Jesus who is spoken about here, then that's what you're called to do today. But I know that many of you have repented You have baptized, and that's not to say that our lives are not to be a continual life of repentance, but there's a takeaway for us as we respond to what the triune God has done, and it's resting in the promise. I love verse 39, and of course you knew I was going to love verse 39 because we're baptizing some children this morning. The promise is for you and for your children And for all you who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. God has given us great and precious promises. He made a promise to send Jesus. It was planned to the definite plan of God. It was promised long ago through the history of Israel. And He promises all who hide in Him, who rest in this Jesus, that they will be saved from the wrath of God. And that promise is for you. It, it's for our kids and it's our responsibility to take hold of it and to receive it and to believe it and to rest in it. For only if you let the promise of God in Jesus Christ and the Gospel saturate your bones can you be the witness that we see in the book of Acts? Can you, see the wit- can, can you be the witness that we're going to see throughout this book as we study the acts of the apostles and the acts of Jesus through them and through His Spirit? People of God, I know that we have gone through this sermon quickly. We actually looked at this sermon in greater detail a couple years ago on an Easter Sunday morning. But let this brief vision, reminder of God's purpose for His Spirit, God's purpose for His Son, what the triune God has accomplished, let it move you to the kind of response that is given here in Acts 2 and to pray for this kind of movement of God's Spirit in and among us, in and amongst our families, in and amongst our communities. This is our mandate. This is our mission. May God bring it about. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We thank You for the revelation of the promised Spirit coming in power and what that Spirit means for us and our witness and our resting in the work of Jesus Christ. I pray that You would do a work in each of the hearts And minds and souls of those who are here this morning. These are your people. Father, may the gospel take root in their heart deeply. That it might overflow in love for others. In reflection of the risen one. The ascended Christ. Who sits at your right hand as Lord, as Savior. Father, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.